Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This podcast is recorded on Noongar land. We'd like to acknowledge and pay our respects to the traditional owners of the land and extend that respect to any First Nations, Aboriginal, Torres Strait Islander and their elders who are listening today. We respect their spiritual relationship with their country. Have you ever wondered exactly what it is that that married man found so appealing about paying for it? Or watched the murder doco and thought, how can that monster's mother still love him? Welcome to To Be Frank, the show that invites you to step inside the world of Constance Hall as she explores the most interesting topics and people from all over the world with no BS, no filter. Now your host, Constance Hall, and co-host, Claudia McLeod. Hello, and thank you for joining us for another episode of To Be Frank. I'm Constance Hall. And I'm Claudia McLeod. And today we have with us Sean Purcell, who has a remarkable story to tell us. And I think we'll just start by, Sean, can you tell us what happened on the Torquay Beach a few years ago? What happened to you? Yeah. G'day, guys. Thank you very much for having me on your podcast. It's a story I've told probably a million times in the last uh, 10 years since it happened, but I'll give you guys the brief rundown. It was July 13, 2014 where I had suffered from one of the most heinous conditions that any man can suffer, which was uh, man flu. (laughs) It had knocked me around for about, for the better part of two weeks, and I was really, really struggling. In my infinite wisdom, I decided to uh, grab my wife's little dog, Abby, and and we made it down to our local beach, White's Beach in Torquay. And I think that the thought process must have been I'll do a 5K run, and like you can't out. remember any of this, right? No, I can't remember anything. So it's all conjecture, but I sort of know myself and I know how stupid I can be at times. So <laughs> what you would have done. I'm like, that's, yeah, yeah I'll that's go for definitely a run. what would have been yeah, going on. Yep. Sweat it out. Uh, come home, have a shower, have a sleep, ready for work on Monday. That was the plan. The reality was very, very different. Once I hit the beach, probably made it about five, six hundred meters, I reckon. And what I thought was man flu was actually a high-grade lung infection, and that should have had me hospitalized at the time. What that lung infection did, it started to attack the wall of my heart. So I was quite fit at the time. I was, I did a lot of marathon running and stuff like that. Same, same, Sean. <laughs> yes. I just, oh, yeah, just came back from one then. <laughs> <laughs> so is that similar yeah. to pneumonia? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, it's just a lot of fluid in your lungs, and okay. um, a really, really bad idea to, to mix right. it with elevated heart rate. Yeah, basically, the wall of my heart was under attack. With an elevated heart rate, is a it's it's a recipe for disaster. And I quickly went into sudden cardiac arrest. I veered into the water. I was barefoot, running on the on the sand, and I dropped to my knees, and then my heart stopped. And I fell face first in the water and that was it. It was all over from that point. So was there anyone on the beach? Anyone see you? This is miracle number one. It was the middle of winter down here, as you guys could mm. attest, is really, really cold in mm. the middle of winter. It was the first sunny day 
in two weeks. So, so the water's still ice cold. Still ice cold, Arctic water's coming through, but the people sun was the up, beach, so there are about 100 people on the beach. The day before, to give you some reference, there was about three people on the beach, a local told me um, later. So that was my first saving grace, was the beach was full of people. And just the quality of people that basically came to my aid is the next miracle that happened. This is one of those, like, I thought Con's husband, Denim, had, like, more than nine lives. I've never met anyone that, but you take the cake. Like, the amount yeah. of things that were in your favour that, you know, wouldn't have been on any other day and time and everything. The whole thing is just... <laughs> Phenomenal. wasn't your time. Is, You're yeah. meant to be here. Are we? Uh, yeah, I think so. Mm. I think so. I don't know why yet, but I'm still working that out. So were you clinically dead when you hit the water, when you'd had the heart attack, you were... Yeah, yeah instantly. so so completely non-responsive, no heart rate and not breathing. So dead as a doornail. Um, look, and I, I hate to ruin the end of a really good story, but I didn't stay dead, which is really good news. What happened next, basically the first three or four guys that saw me realised I wasn't mucking around. They pulled me out of the water and started CPR straight away. So these guys, we had like a retired army officer, a retired nurse, and the other two had updated their CPR recently. So they sort of got to work straight away. And again, I was not completely non-responsive. So they kept checking my heart rate, kept checking my breathing and there was nothing. But they made the decision to take action and to lean into the situation. Um, so this is one of the, the biggest life lessons for me from yeah. this period is lean into adversity. Nothing good comes when you run away from adversity. So obviously the next thing they did was call for help. So a passerby called Triple O and they were told that there was going to be no assistance for about 45 minutes. That's a long time to be doing CPR. A long time, you know, just a freak of nature. At the local Geelong Hospital, the helicopter was out. All of the ambulances were, were being utilised and there's two or three ambulances in Torquay in my little town and they were all gone. They weren't there, so... I don't know how you guys feel. Like I tell this story a lot. I get up on stage all over the country and, and tell this story. But whenever I drop that fact, like 45 minutes, you're on your own. It's huge. It's like you're a goner, yeah. I did it just my typical, you know, stock standard CPR course two weeks ago for a new job. They'll be out of shape. I haven't been doing my marathon runs and stuff. But my body was like sore the next day from all the CPR. Yeah. And that's just doing that. It's like it is mm. so it just takes it out of you. It's hardcore. So that's in a dry room. Yeah, they're on, on the a, beach. On a dummy. Yeah, and they, these guys, you know, the, an incoming king tide oh. on a 45-degree angle, slippery, soaking wet. So they gave you mouth-to-mouth. -mouth, they did it for 45 minutes. Yeah. Wow, because a lot of cops won't even do mouth-to-mouth -mouth anymore. Mm. Like I had a friend whose husband passed away and she said the cops w wouldn't do it at the scene of the accident and she had to do it. Wow. Because, mm. yeah, because of, I don't know, is it COVID? Like what they're scared of? I'm not yeah. sure. But well, anything, I mean, they don't have to, right? It's not. Well, I think now the, the most active thing you can do is the compressions. Mm. So the, yeah. the breathing doesn't really have a lot to do with it now. Yeah, and the don't compressions stop. Are the best thing you can do is just, even if you're stop, worried yeah. that you're doing it a little bit wrong, anything is better, Don't right? Stop. Like just keep yeah. going. Yeah. When, when I heard that you actually, a lot of people die from a carbon dioxide poisoning because people aren't doing the compressions enough mm. and you need to get that mm. out, that was yep. a bit of a shock to me. I was like, I always thought it was a lack of oxygen, you know, as we yeah. would think. 100%. And look, I'm 6'2". I probably weighed about 88 kilos at the time, but my body was in distress, so it was blowing up 
and they told wow. me I looked like I was 110 kilos. Like wow. I was just wow. And can you imagine? Oh, how distressing! Amount of force required yeah. to, to get the correct compression on someone my size. So Unbelievable. they had it all Especially against that them. situation. It would have been really distressing watching, you know, you deteriorate and everything as well while they're trying to keep going. Definitely knowing that, that there's no help, the cavalry aren't coming. So the, the only sort of help they got were the police uh, and they just set up a barrier pretty much and, and because they said what was happening to me was elite. Like they said, there's, they couldn't really assist because these guys had their, their shit sorted so well. Wow. Claudia, yesterday with your compressions, how buggered you were, these guys were going hard for five, ten minutes and they were running out of gas really quickly. Legends. So the next person that arrived before uh, Lisa arrived, a lady called Lee arrived. And she, this lady, she's my guardian angel. She basically, her job at the local surf lifesaving club was to teach CPR to all of the volunteers there. So she took full control of the situation. She's all of five foot four and she started whipping them into shape. Wow. She got all the big boys. She started recruiting. She saw the guys were gassed. So she re- started wow. recruiting fit guys and girls um, and teaching them their compressions, getting their hands right. To stop um, people one, burning out, right? Like Yeah, one wow. breathing, one I know. One Haven't you got pumping. goosebumps? I just got oh, goosebumps too. Amazing. Yeah. So given the adversity of me being completely non-responsive and having no assistance, they still just went into the situation. And then her friend Lisa arrived just by coincidence five, ten minutes later and Lee gave her the download really, really quickly. And Lisa said, you're not going to get his heart started through CPR. We need to get a defibrillator. And they said, yep, we've got one ready wow. to go, but it's two kilometres away at a, uh, a golf club. There was only one person working that early in the morning at the golf club and he just had a knee reconstruction, so he couldn't bloody get in a car. To, no, you can't to make this stuff up. I know. It's amazing. <laughs> when so, you were hearing this afterwards, were you just like? You'd be like, I'm just glad I was sleeping for all this because it's too stressful for me to Well, even 100%. I was the laziest person on the beach that day. I was <laughs> just laying there. So, Hang on, where's the dog at this point? Where's the little dog? Oh, great question. Oh, um, all right. It was okay. It was just defending my honour for the better part of 40 minutes, try, attacking people who were attacking me. So, Getting in the way, being a bit annoying. Yeah, poor little thing. Yeah, Lisa just footed it. She was halfway through her run, so she just kept running, and the guy had a golf buggy waiting for her out the front with wow. the defibrillator. She drove back as far as she could, and then she just made her way through the dunes. They put the defibrillator down, ripped open my shirt, put the pads on, Move my body away from the water again for like the fourth time because of the king tide coming in. Then for the first time in that 40-odd minutes, there was hesitation because I was soaking wet. They were soaking wet. The water and the defrib. Yeah, someone said, stop. If you hit that button, he's going to take us all with him. It was marketable. Um, Constable Jeff Braff told me that was the first time there was hesitation. Wow. So that everything else up until that point was, you know, just calculated and. And everyone on the same page and like, yeah, we're going to, yeah. 100%. Great teamwork. Then this kid steps forward and he goes, I'm a third year med student. And we studied (laughs) this exact scenario last week at school. Wow. He said, we're not going to get electrocuted, just him. And then one of the guys said, well, if you're that confident, you hit the button. (laughs) (laughs) Be my guest. That's exactly what he did. Everyone stepped back, he hit the button, and for the first time in 40 minutes, my heart 
started beating. So oh that, that machine told everyone it's got audible prompts. It said yeah. that there was a shockable rhythm and that my heart was beating. And that tells you what to do um, after that, right? Yeah. yeah. So that was it. It was like basically, again, Constable Bruff said it was like someone kicked a goal at the MCG. Everyone yeah, was- is there like reunion parties once a year yeah. where everyone gets back together? And you all get together and just like <laughs> fucking hug it out? I don't even know what you would do. Like it's just next Great level. question because next year is 10 years, 10-year 10 wow. anniversary. Yeah. So I'm going to – I'm trying to put together something really special for Oh, you have to. So 100%. Um, just all those moving parts. Like it's – Phenomenal, isn't it? So, so hopefully, like an ambulance has become available by now, right? Someone's coming. Not quite yet, because the next thing that happened was that my heart stopped again. Great, good one, Sean. And then the the cheering calmed down. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, they hit the button again, and then that was the game they played for the next five minutes. My heart would stop. They'd hit electrocute me again and it was really distressing for a lot of the people watching because your body sort of jumps half a meter off the dirt Mm -hmm. um, it's very very yeah and they they just kept pumping me and pumping me full of electricity essentially and and it was just you know i don't know if i was trying to die or trying to live in that moment Mm. they just kept going i can't believe it they just kept going gives you faith in community doesn't Mm. it it does, 100%, mm. you know, and in people in general. I've, mm. You switch the TV on every night and it's the most horrid hour of your day mm. and you think, God, you, humanity's yeah. just gone to shit. Yeah, what's but happening to the world? It, it hasn't. Yeah, mm. there's, there's brilliant people out there, superheroes that are just normal people. And they clearly like, all hang like out us. at Torquay Beach by the sounds of it. Oh, they do, yeah, mm. on that day they did. Um, <laughs> All wearing ganda um, in their hipster flares, just waiting yeah. for a just going, drama. Just done my CP performance. Get out of the way. Yeah. Are you dropping dead? No, I'm sunbathing. Oh no <laughs> just let us know yeah. when you are. Yeah, yeah, that's right. How long was this by this point? So we're at about 35, 40 minutes. They so they so they think you know it's really hard to get a, an accurate um, read on it, but. Uh, out of all the interviews I've done, this is about as accurate as it gets. Mm. And about the 45-minute mark, the ambulance arrive, the mic units arrive, and the helicopter all arrive at the same time. Mm. So the cavalry are there. <laughs> Basically, they set up by my body, and the first thing they say is, can someone get rid of that fucking dog that keeps <laughs> right everybody? <laughs> and poor little Abby dog, you know, like I said before, she'd been defending my honour. and yeah. Dad's down on the ground. My wife's phone number was on her little tag. So they they called mm. Kelly, my wife. I was and, wondering um, about your wife. Yeah, Sunday morning, probably 9 a.m., 8.30, 9 a.m., no caller ID. And they just said, your husband's had an accident on White's Beach. You've got to get down here quickly. And then they hung up on her. Lucky, I probably wouldn't have answered that. I would have thought. You know, well, yeah. she... get collector. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, that's the thing. You know, usually she wouldn't. She wouldn't have answered it. Was something she something Another told thing. her to answer this call? Yeah. Yep. She would have had a feeling. Mm. Essentially, she thought I'd just been bitten by a dog, and mm. I was just sooking on the beach. Pretty much. <laughs> so here he goes with his mantle. What's meat. next? <laughs> <That's right. laughs> stung by a bee. Yeah, that's right. But as she got there, she saw a helicopter parked on the lawn in front of the the sand dunes and she knew that this shit was about to go down or had gone down. She made her way to my body and she got about 30 seconds, maybe tops, and she just whispered in my ear, don't you dare leave me. They downloaded to her, you know, his heart keeps stopping and we keep 
starting, so we're not quite sure what's going to happen. Mm. Oh, I've got tears in my eyes. Me too. Yeah, I can't imagine. Like, you know, I tell this story so much, but her story oh. is phenomenal. Like, like what she went through, I'll never be able to really comprehend mm. and understand, but she's mm. just such a machine. She has just nursed me through these 10 years as well because okay. there's more to come, but, but it's been a really rough time and mm. she's just been an absolute mm. rock the whole way through. So to put her through, like we said before, I slept through the whole thing. You know, I woke mm. up and I was on some amazing yeah. drugs and I'm thinking, what's the issue, you know? What's been going on, guys? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So... I got in the helicopter. One of the people who looked after me on the beach, they knew one of the paramedics because uh, it's a small town that we live in here. And the paramedic said, look, you've done an amazing job. He's not going to survive the, the ride, oh. but you did everything you could. And I was basically en route to the Alfred Hospital in Melbourne because there were no beds left at the Geelong Hospital in ICU. Halfway through the trip, in the air, they got a call that there was one bed left. They'd done a miscalculation and I got the last bed in ICU. One of the paramedics that I spoke to since said that saved my life. Like that, I would not have made that trip to the Alfred. So wow. the, the fact that it was half the trip to Geelong landed, they got me sorted in ICU. My mom and dad and my two brothers and their wives came up from Melbourne and Kelly and my ex-wife and my two boys from my previous marriage all converged basically and met, were bundled into a room and told, look, there's good news and there's bad news. Good news is that we think Sean's heart is beating by itself. We're not confident enough to take him off the assistance, but we, we're confident that, fairly confident that his heart's beating. And that's all Kelly, my wife, needed to hear. Mm. She didn't care what came next. Yeah. She just needed to know that I had a fighting chance. The bad news is that there's no brain um, activity whatsoever. That's what I'd be worried about. Yeah, they just said, you know, it's a long time, 45 minutes. Yeah. It's too long. It is, yeah. Like yeah. three minutes is your optimal time. Yeah. If three minutes without oxygen is just... brain, yeah, yeah, it's just you're essentially not going to be with us. The only person that was buoyed by that information was my 13-year-old son who said that he was super confident there was no brain activity before the accident. <laughs> um, so <laughs> he, he told the doctors not to worry too much about that. Oh. God, that's a lot for a kid. That's a lot, yeah. Yeah, they would have known kids. the severity of that at that age, yeah. I don't know if they're ignorance or if it's just mm, they're innocence. just so innocent, you and know. Optimistic. That, that, yeah, they were just so great through the whole thing, Kelly Amazing. said. They were just so up and about. Like they were the mm. ones that were keeping everyone sort of spirits up. So. Wow. wow. So that was it. It was basically on repeat from there. It was five-day coma. And Kelly would come in every day um, and it would just be the same thing, um, you know, just the exact same story. And they started talking to her about maybe she had to think about making some decisions down the track and mm. what life looked like. And all of that changed day five. So day five she walked in and my bed was surrounded by specialists and doctors and she walked over and my eyes had opened. And she was quickly whisked away again and told, look, his eyes are open, but he's not responsive to any stimulus. So he, he's not following us or tracking us. And Con, you had that with Denim, didn't you? They tell you certain things and you're like, no, I know, that was different. That's the same or, you know. thing that happened to my husband. They were like, he's not tracking, he's not responsive. And I was like, I was like, Kelly, I was like, yeah, yeah, 
Move aside, doctors. Yep. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I know what, yeah, yeah, and what you say as well, different responses, you know, ignite different responses, right? A hundred percent. You can never write off the people that you know and you love if, if they're fighters. You just know we're on top of this. And Have you ever seen a photo of you when you were in that non-responsive state? That's the, the next part of the story, which, oh, keep which talking. is pretty amazing Sorry, as talking. well. Yeah. The next day she came in, I started looking around at people and watching them. Then sort of day three, I started talking gibberish. Are they just like, what the fuck? They were freaking out. Yeah. yeah. They were. Day four, I was putting little sentences together. And then day five, I got out of bed with her frame and sort of walked to the toilet for the first time, got them to unhook everything. And mm. that's when the neurologist freaked out. That's when they, they yeah. didn't know what was going on. So... The, the general consensus from that point from them was the fact that I fell into the water, it was ice cold, and I was resuscitated on wet, cold sand, and that stopped my brain from swelling. Wow. And That's three incredible. months after that, full neurological testing, 100%. It was the scariest day of my life and the most amazing day of my life because that was the day we were going to be told whether I was brain damaged or not which obviously affect the rest of my life. Can I drive? Can I get a job? Can I, mm, you know, mm. be an active member of society? Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. did the testing all morning and then that afternoon we were told that I'm um, fine. I'm 100% fine. That is fine. crazy. So nothing. There's crazy. no yep. not physically, you know, long-lasting effects yeah. from it. Oh, Beck no. Kelly was just so stoked. Oh, we couldn't believe it. Like, we, geez, we cried that day. Like, all of us, the, I'm emotional now just thinking about it. The mm. neurologists were bawling, you know? Yeah. So tell me about your memories. When do they come back? Mm. What do you remember? What's the last well, thing you remember? that's probably the only fallout neurologically is that we reckon Cal and I have been working or we were working on this for a long time. We reckon I lost about 18 months' worth of memory. Oh, really? That. Yeah, so we, we wow. were married four months before. And you don't remember your wedding? And I don't remember my wedding. Um, oh, you might need to have I another didn't... one. Yeah. I mean, in the so, big scheme of things, that's yeah. not too bad, right? Everything else is, you have to have to have another wedding. Yeah, that's right. We can do that. I didn't really understand where my kids were at with school. I was sort of didn't make sense, you know, like what that year time they were in. And... I didn't remember what I did for a job. I'd started a new job a year before. What did you do for a job when this happened? I was in finance at the time. Wow. But I was terrible at it. <laughs> <laughs> like Kelly said, I worked my ass off, but I just was no good at it. I was way too mm. honest. So um, now that I'm putting the pieces together of who you are and who Kelly is, you guys are obviously each other's second marriage. Yep. Which makes it so much 
worse because Kelly, I know exactly how she feels because I was in a similar situation, but she must have been like, I personally find second marriages to be more special than first marriages because, like, everyone gets to do the, I'm a princess and I've met my prince and we're getting married. <laughs> but people who are doing the second one, that's when the tears stream at the ceremony because you know what they've been through and you know the chances of being able to find mm-hmm. somebody. Oh, so true. It's just really magic. And so she would have been having these feelings like, fuck you world I not now I'm not losing found. this person yeah and there would yeah. have been so much fight in her and in you to stay together and to come back to your mental self yeah a hundred percent you're so right we were like we were best mates before mm-hmm. we hooked up months before we even had a pash or a cuddle or anything like we would spend love that love that you just said a, every moment we pash. could <laughs> every <laughs> Um, we'd be getting coffees and, and just, you know, downloading every part of our life. And we still are. We're just, mm. we're both wow. massive introverts and we're just in each other's pockets whenever we can. Aww. And we were at that point, we were just trying to starting to build the dream where you recover from your, your previous breakups and, mm. and then you move forward. And we thought we had these dreams with our little family. We're going to have a glue baby as well to, to bring the whole team together and, and our kids loved each other as well and it was just the best, you know. Mm. And then, bang, drop dead. Yeah. You just don't know, hey? Wow. No, that's it and that, you know, f- f- that should have been the end of it really bar 10 miracles all bundled <laughs> up in a 45-minute period. Wow. Yeah. It's just so do you have any long-lasting anxiety having now knowing that or, or did you, knowing that you can just sort of lose everything in a second? I've sort of um, empowered more than anything now. The anxieties I have are when I'm not doing what I know I should be doing. Mm-hmm. That's when they kick in. I turned 47 two days ago. Happy and birthday. Thank you very much. The The average male lives to about 80 years old, which gives me, you know, 33 years and change left uh, till I drop off again. So my anxiety comes from when I, my internal pressure on myself, like I want to have this, this and this done and I'm not getting after And there's it. not enough time or... Yeah, I'm like, hang on, but you're on borrowed time to start with and you don't have much time left, so let's go. Has this all helped you, this like doing what you're doing now and talking about it helped you process what's happened? Yeah, it has. It, like, And it's probably something I've never thought of, But and it was a, a happy accident getting into public speaking. Like, mm. it's, It was never a plan of mine, but when the opportunity arose to share this story, I, I had to share it. The majority of news we get is really horrible, so there needs to be a antithesis mm. to that. I'm the best person to tell the story. I'm the recipient of it, so it's mm. it's my duty almost. Yeah, you're right. Like getting up on stage and processing it, early days it was very hard to get was through it? a full talk. Yeah. Yep. Because little things would set me off. Thinking about the dog, mm. you know, thinking about Kelly yeah. at the beach. And um, your son and stuff. Yeah. yeah. That's it, yeah. So, mm. but it's performance-based, I suppose. You know, it's got to be palatable for the audience. So, and I have really good pictures and videos to go along with it that that sort of co-host with me. Oh, you'll have to send us some but, of the pictures. Yeah, I'll send you, I'll send you some collateral. 
when my husband woke up from his coma, he was talking very fourth dimension mm. and energies. Like I know Zeke, his son, I know Zeke's here, but he, I can't see him, but he's in the other room. And there was a spiritual side of it, which he can't remember now. And that really upsets him. I videoed a lot of it so you can see it, but he gets annoyed. And I'm like, man, the best trips of our lives, we don't get to remember. So it's, you know, it's, it's all part of it. Do you have any spiritual beliefs after? What happened to you? With my talks, I talk about how I found the people and we can sort of park that and go back to that because that's a really cool story. For the people listening at home, I um, stumbled across Sean when I was looking into people that had survived near-death experiences and as Sean, you were saying, you can't really describe it, but what people say about it that have had different experiences. So So I don't share this bit on stage um, and it's again, it's something that took me years to really, I don't know, come to terms with. My biggest fear was I was be written off as a kook and that the experience that I had, which is really, really precious to me, would be sort of commoditized or commercialized or or taken. Yeah, right. I don't know what the right word is for it. Sensationalized. Sensationalized, yeah. 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 And which it was way too precious to offer that up, you know. So Kelly would be pretty much the only person I spoke to about it. She was front and center. I never really thought about it that way. Like it is it's a really personal and private experience. No matter how hard you try, you can't express what it's like and you can't, I think the only Mm. way to do it would be someone with amazing audiovisual skills to build, you know, that world, I suppose. But Wow, so you do actually have visual memories. Yeah, very, very profound, you know. Have you ever done anything like DMT? No, I've never. Right. I didn't. I'd be very did. interested to know if it's similar because that's very hard to articulate. That sort of loss of sense of self and being a, and thinking on a different thinking on a cellular level kind of thing, and it's really hard to put into words. And, and like you said, it's something that it's almost like you don't even really want to or need to because it's sort of a piece that you live with afterwards. The way that you explain that, I think that would be really close to the experience that mm. I had. And the reason I started talking about this was, I'll I'll quickly tell you, I got booked by a company called Peace of Mind Foundation that looked after people who were suffering from inoperable brain cancer. And they were putting on this beautiful event in a winery with 20 women that had lost someone to brain cancer. And she said, and I said, I'm not going to talk about surviving death in front of people who had lost their mm-hmm. loved ones. And, mm-hmm. and she said, you've got to trust me, um, the founder, Beck Pacone, you've got to trust me and I want you to talk about your experience that you had. And, and I really think it would help the women there. So um, much. Yeah, but it was a lot of pressure too. Yeah, and you weren't because, expecting it, obviously. She was just yeah, and yeah. I, you know, who am I to 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 start speaking this sort of stuff? So my experience was when I woke up out out of the coma and was able to was sort of semi cognizant and able to, to talk with some form of articulation. I'd often wake up crying, and Callie would, and I was distressed, and she'd say, "What's wrong? What's wrong?" and I would tell her, and I don't remember this, I was pretty heavily sedated still, and I started talking to her about my sister. And my sister had died at the age of 18 months old from cancer. And I was born two months after she died. So my mum was heavily pregnant through her death. So I never mourned 
the death of my mm. sister growing up because I didn't know her, but I was always incredibly mm. sad for my parents that they had that experience. And obviously the older you get, the more devastating it is as you have your own kids and stuff like that. And to think that my mum was seven months pregnant when she buried her daughter, it was just heartbreaking. Mm. I kept talking about Rachel, which is my sister, just on loop. Kelly said I was just nonstop on loop. I need to get back to Rachel. I've got to be with Rachel. Then I'd fall asleep and then I'd wake up and it would start again. And she said it was just Groundhog Day. Like it, that's all I would talk about. She said I'd be distressed when I woke up because I wasn't there, because I was, mm. I was here. As I got clearer, I got moved into the cardiac ward and there was a bit more clarity around my feelings, what set in was just grief. I just absolutely was grieving the loss of her. Like I felt it like she just died. That shook me because I'd Mm. never experienced it before. That left me with tangible sort of evidence. The only thing I could visualise was a tree, a gravestone and a, a train track. That was it. That sort of like everything else I was was non-physical, like I wasn't. Mm. But she was just with me the whole Mm. time. So it's almost like that's what I brought back. The end to that chapter was about three months later, I said to Cal, look, I want to go visit her grave, which I'd never done before. It was this huge cemetery that she's buried in. And we got there. I knew where we were going straight away. We didn't even have to look it up because I could see the train line and I could see a tree. And then her gravestone was exactly where it was in my, this sort of visual luck that I've had. That was proof to me that I knew exactly where it was. And from that, from waking up, I've never feared death. Whatever we're going to is better than what we've got here. And my feeling is whenever I lose someone and I've had some important people in my life die in the last 10 years, I feel like they've left us behind. And yes. they're not gone, like they're good. The only sadness belongs to the people who remain and, and we've got to look yeah. after each other. Mm. Yeah, and we're so. all sad for them. I always have this vision like what if they can't relax because we're all sad and they need us to heal in order to be okay with. It's really interesting what you've just said about oh. your sister because when Dens woke up, Dens is one of those men, he was like raised in the country and taught not to show his feelings. He's one of his best mates died recently and he didn't even really like he just goes shit. He's dead. And I'm like, what? Anyway, that's just who he is. But when he woke up, mm. he's lost. His ex-wife died. His like best friend growing up had died. When he got, woke up from his coma and when he was finally able to articulate himself because he was mumble-jumble for a long time, but he said to me, I never grieved tears. And I was like, you know, shit, you never <laughs> grieved anyone. And he was yeah. like, oh, but I'm really feeling it now. Like, why didn't I grieve tears? And I was like, this is odd. Do you know what I mean? Like it was such a weird thing for him to say. He'd never even Mm. considered grieving anyone. And it really made me think if you've been in another dimension, have you been getting help by some of the people that loved you and that you loved? Absolutely, yeah. Did you believe in this sort of stuff before, Sean? Like would you say you were spiritual? I knew that I wasn't smart enough to write anything off. I knew that there was something going on, but I'd not had – I also didn't want to try and fabricate any experiences or, Mm. you know, I tend to feel that people who believe in a higher power maybe need it at the time and I've never really needed it, I suppose, and I was always fearful that I'd only be fabricating that but always open. 
but now, oh my God, like it's not even open for debate or anything. It's just wow. It's good. That is very comforting, I think, for people who have lost someone or even people who are losing their life, you know, people that have been diagnosed with stage four things to know that someone like you who isn't, you know, like that way inclined, isn't going to make memories up or isn't going to, or as you said, doesn't need it. Like I've always kind of felt jealous of religious people because they have this thing that believe in that I think I'm too smart for. Do you know what I mean? Whereas, yeah, yeah, whereas (laughs) to hear that somebody like you who was wasn't that way inclined, has sort of converted to believing in it, I think is really comforting. That's what circling back to that talk I did, it sort of dawned on me midway through what I was talking about, why I was doing it. It was to tell them all that exactly that. I believe that we've all been left behind. Your loved ones are not the ones we're mourning for. It's you guys that we're mourning for in the room. Mm. We're the ones who have to get around each other. And that's then it sort of clicked. You know, in life where sometimes things just hit, you go, got it. Yeah. You know, and Rebecca, who booked me, that's when I, I looked at her and she's like, you she got, knew that that's what you're doing. Yeah. Got it. Right. So, yeah, I do have something to tell you guys. Yeah. This is what it is. Mm, it, yeah. it is that now our focus has to be here. It has to be what we do with the rest of our lives, with the limited time we've got left, and that's where the healing will come from, not from mourning what could have been with that person, you know, knowing that they're not going to get married or we're not going to see them drive the car or whatever like that for the first time. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I totally know what you mean. That was a massive light bulb for me and that was a massive kick up the ass for me personally Mm. to go, right, bud, you've got to step up because, like I said earlier, I'm a massive introvert, so doing things like this is is quite hard. Getting up on stage in front of 25 people or 5,000 people yeah. is hard, but there's a reason I've got to do it. Like, the, it sure that's is. just because people what, need to hear it. They, it's yeah, so hard to not have any beliefs to just have a like atheist mindset and to lose someone. It's it's just unbearable, isn't it? To think about the parents out there that have lost their kids and, and how much they need to hear your story. If there's just one person in that crowd who just that's needed right. that. That'll do. Yep. That's yep. worth yep. everything. Yep. You know? and they're t- or they're taking one important fact out, like don't stop compression, one thing from one person. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So you do this full time, Sean? You go around doing your? No, I don't. Look, I'm really. You didn't get back into finance, did you? <laughs> no way. Oh, no. Yeah. And the, the, did the, your views on money really... change? Did your views on money change? Because sometimes I think we spend mm. so much of our lives worrying about money and thinking Things. that that is how we create a better life yeah. and live our life to the max. Tell me how that yeah. sort of. hundred percent. I think, well, money became a massive factor because I was so sick for that year and a half. So you didn't just jump out of bed and go straight back into it. There was still recovery and. Yeah. Like Nine rehab that you had to do. Yeah. Nine months. What yeah. was recovering? I'd essentially inhabited the body of an eighty-year-old man. Really? So I, I couldn't concentrate. Because you um, look very healthy now. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I've been working really hard to get back to where where I am now. But yeah, it was. We didn't know if I'd ever be capable of working, even though mm. we got the diagnosis that I was fine. I just felt terrible. Yeah, I was on. Right. Drugs, you know, they put me on heart medication just in case. So I got a defibrillator in my chest just in case. That knocked me around. Mm. And we burnt through our savings. We burnt through, had to get rid of our nice car. And, um, you know, life was really, really tough. So that was our focus on money. But in regards to the importance of it, now I've got like the most unbelievable reflection point 
on anything. So I, you can't put a price on that ever. No, because the, the reference point is always I should be dead. So what can we do? Basically, I moved into I started working with the Cotton On Foundation in philanthropy and got into project development, which was something I'd never done before, but something, you know, a hidden talent that I had and I, I loved it. I was a, with a great team. I started, we were building products to get homeless kids off the street here in Australia, awesome. which was really great. So that sort of, and then since then there was a number of different programs and projects I worked on with those guys. Fantastic. You're making a difference, making a difference now. Yeah, that's it. Just seeing, you know, where that sort of thing can take me. And so that was the the better part of my life. Since then, I've left those guys and sort of reluctant to take this, to take the speaking thing on full time because essentially just talking about things and not doing anything, if you know what I mean. Like that's, that's the feeling I got when I was doing a lot of them is that you're not really practicing what you preach. Kelly and I both work in the prison system now. What? That was going to be my next question. What does Kelly do? Both work in the prison system? Yeah. Interesting. Yep. So she was a cotton on too. She was in management there and, and oh. burnt out. And we both found um, the working in the prison system was perfect for our lifestyle. Heaps of time off so I can jump on a plane wherever I need to and, and do my talks. What do you do in the prisons? We're both prison officers at the moment. So I did I, not I see that coming. screws. Yep. I did not see wow. that coming. And I said to my husband the other night, I want to interview a female prison officer. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> <laughs> When you finish, Sean, just send Kelly in. Yeah, yeah, and then we'll keep going. That's so interesting. Yep. How on earth so, did you get into that? Oh, by accident. I just Googled jobs where you do shift work or something like that uh, that pay really well. <laughs> shift work jobs that pay really well. It's probably quite a common search, right? <laughs> And it came up, yeah, and because with my last job it got so busy that I was knocking back talks and I didn't want to do that. I you wanted to, to have my cake and eat yeah. it too. Mm. So now I can. I just, you know, I work basically roughly six or seven days a fortnight. And and you can just move those shifts around and, and stuff, yeah. yeah. And that pays the bills so that you can, because even like the best speakers in the country with the highest rates, they don't get booked out all the time. They don't align. I've, I've done a lot of speaking and I can tell you I align with about one percent of the work that comes yeah, my way yeah so yeah, it's it's just yeah. a tricky one isn't it to rely mm. on for a yeah career but that's cool that's awesome i mean how cool for a prisoner to know that there was going to be a cool guy there yeah because you don't fit the mulch on i can't imagine you like being all corrupt being an and beating them with yeah. a um baton and stealing their <laughs> yeah. drugs and yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> i'm watching stealing a prison drugs. i'm watching a prison show at the moment yes i bet it's a really interesting job. 90% of what's required to do the job properly is effective communication. Yeah, right. They've just got to be heard and, and you've just got a job to do. You've just got to open doors and shut doors all day basically and make sure wow. your teammates are safe and make sure they're safe. And, um, yeah, so it's yeah, cool. Very yeah. cool. Do you ever worry about um, Kelly in the prison? Is she in a male or female prison? She's in a male prison. Wow. Um, I do, yep. Definitely, because I know what goes on. Um, mm-hmm. She's in medium security, which I'm grateful for. I'm in maximum security. Is that scary, Sean? Have you ever been really scared? I don't know. Not scared. Sean but doesn't I get think... scared. You don't get scared anymore you don't fear death, so you're like, whatever. Someone will intervene <laughs> if anything happens. If fucking something yeah, would just, it. someone will just blow up the cell that it's happening in and Sean will just Sean's like, it's all good. I've got this. I've got this. Probably yeah. not my time again. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, that's really interesting. So. so 
Yeah, so that's basically it. But, again, I don't talk about that a lot. I sort of keep Mm. my two lives separate. Do you guys do anything differently? Like when you leave in the morning, do you still like do over-the-top goodbyes and say you love each other or in that way how has your life changed? Oh, our whole family's like that. Like my boys are 21 and 23 now. The girls are 16 and nearly 18. And yeah, it's always, I love you. And it's always, there's just, just a mass, there's a lot of love in the house, mm-hmm. you know, and making sure each other knows how important you are to so each other. So you never had the glue baby. We didn't know. Yeah, we got through it all and I was buggered and we thought, oh, God, it's just too much. Yeah. And, if you felt like you were good. 80, like you'd be like, Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. And now we both feel like we're so young now and none of the kids want Maybe to there's still time. So we're John. going on dates every weekend. No, yeah. God, no. no. Oh, you're no, loving the free you know, time, yeah. I was talking to someone recently who fell in love and they'd had their own kids and she wanted to have a baby. So did he, but it didn't happen. And she said that she really had to unpack why they wanted to have a baby together and what was it about them or her in particular who felt like having a baby was sort of sealing the deal with love or was, do you know what I mean, was the ultimate commitment. She said, now every day we know that we're together because we want to be together and we put all that love that we would have had for a child into each other and I was like, wow, I love that. Yeah, that's really cool. I love that too. I think mm. that I never thought of it that way. But the thing is, I pretty much raised the girls. Like they were two and three and their dad's not on the scene. Yeah, so they so were really little their, when this when this all yeah. happened. Yeah. Mm. We don't even separate it now. Do you know what I mean? Like when we talk about the girls, they're just my girls. Aww, and okay. it's like the older they get, the more the thought of their sperm donor, as they call him, um, (laughs) (laughs) becomes more and more. Redundant. Redundant, yeah. Yeah. They know know what's important. Yeah, Yeah. we know. So, yeah, that baby wasn't wasn't necessary. I think it would have been really lovely, but um, we we love life at the moment. Like life's, we're doing Mm, really well. And the older they get, the more you're like, why would you go back? Oh, exactly. Yeah, and I've got mm. mates my age with little kids and yeah. I'm like, oh, my God. Right? It's exhausting. You know, you look at them. Like, I've got friends. We've got friends that are having babies now and they want us to rewind the clock and go and hang out with them and talk about sleeping problems and changing nappies. Yeah, and nah, we're like, where were you when we were 25 doing it? You know, <laughs> you were still partying. I was still out dancing yeah. on the tables. Now it's my yeah. turn to go back to the tables and dance. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. So do you have an Instagram, Sean, that people can follow? You'll have grandkids soon anyway. You can do it that way. Exactly. That's right. Hey, do you want to hear the um, finding the people who saved my life story before we? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Oh my god, yes. So nine months on, I still hadn't have found any of these heroes. It's probably a good way to finish this too. It's really lovely. I get on Facebook speaking about social media, which I had at the time, and the power of it. Oh, the power of Facebook. I thought I'll reach out to my one hundred friends that I had on Facebook. (laughs) And just basically I put up this beautiful photo, which I'll send you guys, of Kelly kissing me on the head when I'm in a coma. Mm. And I wrote the story. I think I've seen that on your Instagram. It's cute. It's a beautiful photo. And I I just wrote the story. And at the end I said, look, if you know any of these people, please call me or email me. And I put my phone number and my email uh, at the bottom of the post. And that was it. I sent it. Went to bed. Woke up the next day and the post had been shared by 9am about 3,000 times. Wow. Wow. And every time I I clicked (laughs) refresh, it was an extra 1,000, extra 1,000. In the end, it got shared 190,000 times on Facebook. Do you know what? That is so insanely huge with that many shares. Like that's insane. It's bananas. Kim K wouldn't get that many shares. 
I know it was off and starts. It went all over the world. And as every country woke up, it, more sta- more. it just bolstered. And then so Love all, it. and I put my phone number at the bottom of it. So all the TV stations, all the radio stations, I did bloody radio interviews all morning. Oh, but wow. the common thread was about the viral post. It wasn't about me finding the people who saved right. my life. So it sort of after. went a little bit off track. Because that's what media wants. Media wants to talk about viral posts nonstop. hundred percent. Yeah. And they, they, you know, quick, can we get out and do a thing for the news tonight? Yada, yada, yada. And you're like, who was on that so beach in Torquay on that day? I was like, just, I want to find the people. So then the project called me and they said, look, if you give us the exclusive story, don't do any of the new stuff. Give us access to your inboxes. We'll find the people for you because mm. I was still quite tired. Oh, that's nice. Isn't and they've that got, nice? And they've so, got yeah. lots, you know, they've got. People, resources. They've got resources, yeah, yeah, Yeah. on time. So they went to work and within, I reckon, three or four hours they'd found the lion's (laughs) share of the people from the beach. They just filtered through everything, got them together. Are they all still alive? No, there were three that couldn't get there. They were because we're a tourist town, so they were tourists. But I've met about eight of them, so... That was it. And then the project did a special, like a reunion. A big reunion on air. Yeah, we all, so when you watch that story, me meeting them is the first time. Oh, I'll have to go watch that afterwards. What was that like? Oh, God, the project's good, aren't they? They know how to Mm. put together a frigging story. That's crazy to hear their stories of how it was as well. Did you cry? Yeah, God, yeah, yeah, um, because they were just legends to me. They were just ethereal beings. You know, think of what how it's impacted your life and it has impacted all these other people's lives in ways that you probably weren't aware of either, you know? Yeah, 100%. And that's you at your most vulnerable. Your heart had stopped beating, you know. It's like you know, any little thing that anyone does is going to impact your chances. It's just crazy. I remember when I called my doctor to get some Valium after my <laughs> husband's accident. I was like, I need, and I'm in Perth and my doctor's in Margaret River, four and a half hours away. My doctor's like receptionist goes, oh, Dr. Ray wants to talk to you. And I was like, yeah, okay, can you get me Valium? And then Dr. Reagan's on the phone and he's like, I was there yesterday at the accident. I saw that it was denim and I thought to myself, please, God, don't let that be denim because he's got six children, seven children, and, and his wife is obsessed with him. And he said, but I'm worried about his head and I'm worried about this and that. And I was just like, I would have talked to him for about 20 minutes just knowing that someone that cared about me and my family and him and knew that he was a human was there on the scene and he was in someone's hands that mm. understood. Do you know what I mean? It just made this. Yeah. Be, I just. It was really warm, and he gave me fifty Valium. Thank you very much, Doctor Ray. Yeah. <laughs> who, was the, who was the guardian angel with the defib that taught CPR? So Lee, Lee, Lee yeah. Bartlett. Lee was Lee is. there. Yeah. Lee was not there. She was away with work. Rude, um, Lee. I know. So, but Lee and I met not long after that, and uh, inseparable now. Well, from oh. my end, we're inseparable. I'm sure I drive. Has she got a restraining order against you? Pretty much. Yeah. She's. I, I can't you know stop what? Though, her. I think. I think that you and and your gratitude is so special about this because yeah. so many people would just go, okay, well, you know, back into life. But your gratitude and the fact that you have so much time for every single person that, you know, assisted in saving your life, it's just not lost on you and it's really beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, and it's innate, Connor. I can't. It's mm. something that I can't, like, I just wish I could bottle it and give it to people because it's the first thing I do when I wake up is I just thank God I'm alive. I'm oh, like, just so one sure more day. Wow. I don't have waterproof and mascara on. 
Wow. <laughs> that feeling is just locked in. It's on autopilot because I go, right, yep, I'm awake. I've got another 24 hours. And, and that's just amazing, perspective. Yeah. Anyone can have that. We can all have that. We don't have to have died in order to have that, do we? It's like I'm alive. I'm not in a war. My day is going to be comfortable and relaxed. I can choose to be okay today and grateful. Are you the record? Is 45 minutes the longest that someone's been clinically dead? It's got to be right up there. Like if they started collating this sort of information, it's got to be one of the the most phenomenal. Totally. And I would be so scared as your wife. I would be thinking, you know, when Denim was in his coma, I was just thinking about that racing car driver. Oh, Michael Schumacher. Michael Schumacher, I think he's in a vegetative state, if, for lack of a better term. But, but that's what, what Kelly, I would be thinking. When someone cares. says, she was like, whatever. I know, got that, right? When somebody love. says 45 minutes dead, you think to yourself, they're not coming back. They might mm. get their heart beating again and get their chest breathing, but the brain's got been gone, been starved of oxygen for too long. And it's just yeah. like it is. It's miraculous. It really is, isn't it? Yeah, it You're is. You're meant to be running near that cold it's, water. There's so many factors yeah. that why you're here it's just that's the mind-blowing part so many like even that alone one of the other runs i did was at a a creek where you would never see another human along the creek but i reckon i was that sick that i couldn't be bothered putting shoes on and that's the only reason (laughs) every little part of that you know from the icu bed to everything it's amazing wasn't your time as i said you know you were meant to stay and meant to be spreading this but also a lot was working against you as well with the ambulances and it's such a beautiful story thanks for sharing thank you so much you're most welcome guys thank you very much for talking it through with me and people listening i hope there was a little bit in there somewhere where they've gone right that's the missing piece for me personally you know and that's that's why i get up and talk and that's Mm. why i share my story on podcasts is because i just want people to know that we are truly capable of amazing things you know each and every one of us no matter if you think you're a piece of shit and you're worthless and stuff like that it's there's something in there that is magical about all of us this is not an instagram quote this is a real life example lived of experience. how that works of lived experiences that we can do absolutely amazing things so be grateful get up in the morning and and just think You know, today I get to do every single thing I'm about to do. I don't have to do anything today. I get to do every one of those things. And Mm, it just reframes everything, really. It's such an important thing, isn't it? I heard a woman, uh, Mel Robbins, say something about waking up in the morning and just like, no, no, to those negative thoughts. Like, you know, you've got to give yourself a high five and you just got to. And and I've been trying to practice that lately. Like, rather than going, oh, God, another day, I still haven't done that draft or I still haven't done this and that. And then have to go make dinner for my kids. Get to go do it. No, no, you're not allowed to think negatively. Like, yes, you can create, you earn your own living. You don't have to, you know, like, just fucking be grateful and stop being a drainer. (laughs) Absolutely. Shift that thinking. I mean, mental health is so huge these days isn't it? It's everyone is struggling, I think, to get out of bed in the morning and to think about their workload. And yeah, we can sort of simplify it back down to the sliding doors moment of your life. And and Mm. that sort of does, it does give you a better perspective. Where do we follow you on Instagram, Sean? Or do you not want a big followers? I'm out. As part of my, every year on my birthday, I, I try and rectify something. And so social media, I've completely dropped it. It was, I was falling down way too many rabbit holes. Yeah. Cool. And it really wasn't serving all I've got. Basically, if anyone wants to book me or wants to contact me or have a chat or anything, is just my website, which is 
seanpurcell.com.au. Okay. Great. Awesome. We'll add that to the show notes. That's, and that's Sean with an S-E-A-N, everyone. That's it. That's the one. So that's if you need me. P-U-R-C-E-R-L-L. P-U-R-C-E-L-L. C-E-L-L. I've my own name wrong. You there. have, Sean. Um, you've put the R in there. And it w- if you send those <laughs> amazing photos through, that would be awesome. We'll, we'd love yep. to see that. Yeah. I'm going to go stalk you on the project. Thanks so much again, guys. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to another episode of To Be Frank. If you enjoyed this episode and want more, be sure to click follow. And leaving a review helps others find the podcast. Join us next time as we explore more interesting topics and people from all over the world. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.